0: Podcast. I am Matt Zemek, and he is Saqib Ali. Saqib was in Toronto for a few days to cover uh, the Premier 5 tournament, the Rogers Cup. And so we want to get uh, a few thoughts from Saqib on what he saw in Toronto. And while he was there, Saqib interview, interviewed Ramon Sluter, the head coach of Kiki Bertens. And he also caught up with Sophia Kennan, who, who's had a great week in Canada. Uh, she beat... Uh, Ash Barty, the world number one, who will no longer be number one as a result of that uh, that outcome. Uh, so uh, Ramon Sluter, Sophia Kennan, a really nice uh, coach and player combination that Sakib was able to catch up with. That's on the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Before we get to those two interviews, Sakib, um, share some of the insights that you gained while you were on the grounds in Toronto at the Aviva Center in York University.
1: Hey Matt, yeah, it, it was a it was a nice time. I wish I could have spent more, uh, but uh, more time at the grounds. Uh, this was my first trip to Toronto. I've done uh, uh, the Montreal version twice: once as a fan, and uh, and not too long ago, uh, once as a tennis with an accent correspondent. When I got to speak with Sasha Zverev, Roger Federer, and uh, Rafa Nadal in 2017. So, yeah, this uh, this was a pretty exciting opportunity because uh, uh, Sofia Kennan and Shay was one of the matches I wanted to see. And uh, even in our discussions, uh, I told you and Mert, like, these are the two uh, players I would like to speak. And uh, then I had to narrow it down uh, because Sofia Kennan won the match and uh, that was that became my choice. And and the match was pretty interesting, too, because Shay is known for her craftiness on the court and... Uh, uh, it, it, it had uh, momentum swings. Cannon, uh broke Shea, but then Shea won the next four games, and then Cannon wins the f- next five games. Uh, it was typical U.S. Open series weather in the high eighties, the gentle breeze. Uh, I don't think the toss was a problem. Service toss for both players because this match was still being played around I think one or two p.m. Uh, and there were a lot of good rallies. Uh, the serve uh, was getting broken quite often, and then I was also you know preparing some notes what to ask each player and of course, you know, uh, Sophia Kennan, when she won, I did bring, like you mentioned, the Ash Barty, uh, all round game, uh, comparison and, uh, and, and she, she beat Barty the next day. So, so I'm sure, uh, listeners who are tuning in would enjoy that conversation. I wouldn't give much out what, what was asked and said. Uh, and the other match I enjoyed, uh, watching a lot on day one was, uh, uh, Francesca DiLorenzo has been over Petra Martic because I had requested Petra Martic, you know, who's been on our tennis with an accent DM threads, you know, a lot of discussion about her game, and uh, I mean, there were a lot of top players in the tournament, but I just there was a different sound coming from Martic's racket. Like, I mean, I'm not going to make her sound like a Del Potro, or you know, uh, she's tall and she hits a pretty good ball, but it was just fun watching her from courtside. I had seen her uh, last year in Miami. And uh, she wasn't happy with some of the calls, Uh, and DiLorenzo's depth, you know, I think uh, produced a lot of errors from the Mardich backhand, which is usually a reliable shot, and the match was pretty close. Uh, She lost, I think, 6-4, 7-5, and uh, next day, I got to see DiLorenzo again, but this time she was easily defeated by Kiki Bertens, who looked like... Uh, you know, a notch above of all the players that I got to see. I, I did uh, did glance at Madison Keys from on the grandstand from the outside. Uh, the stadium was packed, even uh, limited media seats. There were, like, only four. We couldn't get in. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Kiki Bertens was definitely uh, the best player, at least uh, the best hitter of the ball I saw uh, from close. So those are some impressive, I think, uh, uh, performances, even in, in a one-sided match. And then I got... A chance to speak with her coach right after the match and he was generous enough to sit down for me more than like 25 minutes where we discussed an array of topics but to your points I think uh, Bertens uh, was definitely playing like a top player and uh, her forehand and depth and top swing was amazing it was just uh, a very enjoyable experience Lorenzo uh, wasn't happy there were like some questionable calls but she was uh, easily the second best player that day and you know it's funny how fortunes change like Exactly twenty four hours earlier, she had ruined my interview plans with, uh, for Petra Martes because you know when a player loses, I was requesting feature interviews, which are uh, one or two match questions and then overall questions on their career graph for the year. And usually, when a player loses, they don't uh, opt for those kind of interviews.
0: Yep. So we, we, you have to be ready with a plan B, and you were. And so that's going to be uh, the meat, the majority of our Tennis with an Accent podcast this week from Toronto. So I would only note that uh, you know you saw Burton's and uh, it's a testament to Bianca Andrescu that she was able to take Burton's out on Wednesday. But nevertheless, you were able to get a good look at Burton's up close. So i yeah. really excited to hear from Yeah,
1: if I may really add, excited. Uh, I also got a chance to watch the concluding Act of uh, Bianca Andreescu and Jeannie Bouchard, which was like, you know, a b- big match. I mean, it was packed house and uh, the crowd was definitely for Bianca a little more because she's a local Mississauga girl. And this tournament is played 20 miles, I think, outside of Mississauga. So home, c- home crowd support. But Jeannie Bouchard is really, really popular, as we all know. And this match lived up to the hype. Uh, even though it was Bianca's, you know, first match in a while. But Jeannie hasn't been really lighting up the singles code for a while. So this match had a lot of complex layers, all Canada matchup. And, uh, yeah, it had some decent rallies. Uh, uh, of course, I think uh, when we got there, Bianca had the measure. She was playing with a lead, and uh, Jeannie was, you know, competing. So I think the same day, I think, you know, in Montreal, uh, Felix and Pospisil, I think, played in a in a thriller. So... I think I even tweeted, like, I think Canada had, like, two promising matches and both lived up to the expectations. Uh, before we wrap this up, uh, what are your thoughts on what you saw of Andreescu so far in this tournament?
0: Well, it's just remarkable that, you know, in Indian Wells and also in Miami, remember, she did not lose in Miami. She she basically withdrew from the, from the tournament. I think she retired against Contivate maybe two or three games into the match or something of that nature. It's not as though, you know, Contivate, you know, outclassed her. It was more of just uh, Andrescu and her shoulder both just gave out. I mean, they were completely spent. So it wasn't really as though she lost in a true tennis sense in terms of her tennis being inadequate. It's just that her body broke down. and Of course, her shoulder, you know, got overworked to the point that she had to miss the next four months minus Uh, one match that she played um, at Roland Garros. Uh, So this was essentially, you know, minus that brief stint at Roland Garros, this was the first time she had played in four months, and it's as though she's picked up right where she left off, winning one tough three-setter after another. I mean, she won three-setters, multiple three-setters in Miami against Bigu and uh, Angelique Kerber, and she won a ton of three-setters at Indian Wells to take that championship. And here she is winning another stack of long, complicated, two and a half to three-hour, three-set matches, and against legitimately good players, especially uh, Berdians, but also you know Daria Kasatkina, an Indian Wells runner-up, you know, and a former uh, Wimbledon quarterfinalist. You know, no joke. I mean, she's Kasatkina is not having a great year, but obviously very talented. And Andrescu just keeps solving problems. Late in third sets, uh, day after day, it's, it's it's been a remarkable thing to watch.
1: Yeah, I think by the time this podcast release, you know, this tournament will be you know even closer to its conclusion. So I think we can uh, wrap this conversation up now, Matt, and uh, hopefully the listeners enjoy the two interviews. Uh, you know, I missed a couple of interviews, but there is always a next time, and I'll you know plan the stay better next time. So, uh, well, we're, we were just
0: glad that you were able to spend the time that you were able to devote to Toronto. And we want to thank the, our Tennis with an Accent donors to our GoFundMe for uh, financing your trip. And you know, the support of donors makes these trips possible for you and for other members of our team. And I want to remind listeners uh, before we move to uh, Ramon Sluter and uh, Sophia Kennan in their interviews with Socket from Toronto earlier this week. Uh, I just want to remind listeners that you can find our podcast at Red Circle and also at Google Podcasts, not Google Play, Google Podcasts, and also you can find us at Apple Podcasts, which is different from iTunes. So we want to be very clear. You can find us at Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. If you have been looking at Google Play or iTunes, those are no longer the links uh, to find us. It's Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts along with Red Circle and also Stitcher and Radio Public. Those are the five main outlets where you can listen to the Tennis with an accent podcast. Enjoy the next two interviews with Sakib, Kiki Burton's coach, Ramon Sluter, and Sophia Kennan, one of the rising young stars of the WTA.
1: Hello everyone we have the honor of speaking with former ATP player and coach of Kiki Bertens Ramon Sluter how are you Fine, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, we try to bring these kind of conversations for our listeners, and you are like a great exponent of the game. You retired in 2008 from pro tennis, and uh, this is a generic question, but I want to ask everyone. Yeah. So what are the changes you've seen in the game? The actual way the game is played. Do you think the balls being hit as hard? Is it was it as physical in your day when you were playing against the Safins, the Kefalnikovs, and those guys? Uh, as a game, uh, what are the some I, aspect the game has changed? Uh, one
2: big aspect for me is that the game is is more physical than ever i think during the course of the last 20 years uh, in general courts are 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 getting slower Uh, like 20 years ago uh, a lot of the indoor courts used to be very fast carpet exactly and also the the hard courts used to be like like shiny almost you could uh, 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 a lot of the big big servers uh, were there in that era uh also if you look at Wimbledon it has changed uh it has changed a lot the balls are heavier the courts are slower so uh that's a big difference and i think therefore because the game is 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 uh, a little bit Slower, or let's say harder, harder to play. Uh, the the guys are much more physical because it's, a
1: more, it's a better athletes. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's even even better athletes. Of course, different athletes. Uh, be, because if you look at well, if you look at Stefan Edberg, for example, was an unbelievable athlete, but more athletes in the endurance uh, way because because the game has gotten slower, so everybody needs to be. A, a great athlete, but also really extremely fit. It, I think, over time it has gotten more of a, a endurance sport. It already is by playing well so many weeks a year, but then also in the way the game is played. If you well, if you look at the the finals, uh, Djokovic and Murray played, and the, the finals Djokovic and Nadal played. there are four and a half, five hour battles.
1: So, so it's, it's not more like how hard the ball is being hit. It's like the ball keeps coming back. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember one of your clay matches in two thousand five or four, you played Safin, I think it right? was okay. yeah. Yeah. Right. he was one of the yeah. bigger hitters. Yeah. But now it seems like a lot of people are hitting at that ability. Oh yeah. So is it also the strength? Because the strength change in two thousand three.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure, material also uh, plays a part in it. I think, in general, everybody is hitting the ball harder, but like we just said, there there are more balls coming back. So you either need to hit the ball harder, like almost everybody does, or you have the few exceptions that are that are just smarter. And of course, Roger also has the technical uh, ability to 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 do it. But he's one of the one of the guys that that mixes it up. And uh, well, in Dutch we. Say, throw a little bit sand in the engine, and he's taking these guys forwards with these little chips, and not getting into a slugfest with with guys like Kachanov, who can hit the, who, who can break the ball. So uh, I think, in general, the game has, has changed in in, in uh, course getting slower, and therefore guys being even better athletes and hitting the hitting the shit out of the ball.
1: And Wimbledon too. You said something. A lot of people talk about the courts being slow, but the courts have been slow. Say for even Roger was playing from baseline yeah. in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the bounce that doesn't get talked about on grass. Yeah. It's a very high bounce, yeah. very comfortable for everyone to play that kind yeah. of baseline game. So yeah. I think sometimes we do, as fans or even in media, sometimes we don't talk about the bounce. It's all about the speed. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, well, we we can take this even further. Uh, for example, uh, everywhere it's it's a it's it's a difference if you play a day match or a night match. But if we look at uh, Indian Wells, for example, which is which is in the desert, uh, you can play uh, in 30 degrees in in uh, like like desert conditions. Which means there's not much humidity, which means that the ball is flying. So the ball is really taking off. But then if you play a night match there, it's it's going to be so much slower, and the the ball is going to jump so much less. And it, this is as all tournaments, and it's it's. Uh, I like the fact that you say like yeah, people at home uh, yeah, don't really have an idea, but sometimes you're like, hey, why does this guy place a little bit worse in the evening? And I saw him last match uh, at the mm-hmm. middle of daytime, and it, and he was hitting the ball great. How come? Is it just because it's a new day No, Sometimes these are also the circumstances. The and, and, and become
1: and heavy, it's hard to hit through.
2: Yeah, exactly, and that's a little bit the same at Wimbledon. It's almost that that the grass is is. Like you say the bounds, it's almost. Like uh, it's putting a break on the on the ball, uh, a break on the bounce, so the, the ball is coming up much more. And of course, if you if you have a great slice, you can still penetrate a little bit through the court, but uh, not not like not like uh, it used to.
1: Sure. I mean, a couple couple more questions on ATP, and then yeah. we'll go to Kiki. Bert yeah. on yeah, the sure. topic. Yeah. So you were also you served on the player council, and there's a lot of uh, ATP politics. Politics is a, not a bad word, but really yeah. that's what's going yeah. on. Everyone has an opinion, and uh, there's a lot of uh, polarizing conversations. Yeah. So when you are removed from the Pro Tour, what, 12, 11 years now, so do you see what the players are asking, one, of course, it seems like it's fair because there's a smaller cut the players are getting, and secondly, tennis is structured very differently compared to other sports. Yeah. So, Grand Slams are a body of their own. Yeah. And uh, so, where do you see, you know, some of these demands are, and where do you see what are the likelihood of these demands being met? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I think uh, I think it's very good to have a player council, but for me, uh, the 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 setup. Uh, Should be different. Uh, I'm not good enough to say which setup I would like to see But just to give a little bit more insight in the player council You have you have player representatives in the player council, which are players that are playing on tour. So somebody is uh, a representative for number 1 to uh, 10 is a top 10 representative other one is a representative between 11 and 20 then there are uh, one or two between uh, 20 and 50 and then you have a few that are uh, between 50 and hundred and sometimes the incentive for somebody that is ranked uh, between 50 and 100 is totally different than the incentive for somebody that is ranked between 1 and 10 so there you already you, you are in the player council with all players but with some things you're still not going to be on the same page because if you are ranked 50 uh, between 50 and 100 for example you want to get rid of uh buys in in big tournaments because then more guys are coming uh, are getting in and then the cutoff is not going to be 48 no the cutoff is going to be 56 or if it's 16 buys it's going to be 64. so uh, more guys are getting into the bigger tournaments so this is already uh, a, a big struggle within the council and then one other other big part for being in the council is uh, we are asking players now that are now in the council to make decisions to to take the game forward but sometimes even can be money wise can be something else you have to take a step back to make two steps forward but how are you going to tell your guys if you're play representatives like hey we're gonna, we're gonna make a little bit less money here, but in five or six years it's, it's, it's gonna be better. We have to we have to uh, take a step back. Everybody wants to earn their money now. in five or six years they, they can stop. Mm-hmm. but sometimes a decision like that can be better for the game in the long run. So that's why the whole structure within a, a, a player council is, is, is very, very tough.
1: Okay. And uh, so you're saying, uh, which is a very different angle. Like, if uh, a top-ranked player, even though they could be fighting for the rights of a lower-ranked player, do you think there is a disconnect uh, in the big vision, or yeah? And then, how does former retired players become part of this? Like, a Lapenti, Gimmelstorp was there yeah. before. So, what you know? What do you think is there? view? You think? Okay, let me phrase it this way. If given a chance in the future, would you uh, like to be involved at some point?
2: Uh, maybe. Never say never. Uh, I like to be uh, more on the court than in the in the meeting room. Uh, so. So uh, I wouldn't be sure, but then for me, the structure need to change. Uh, you're talking about, uh, about former players. I think it would be better if there are, if there would be more former players like guys that have just stopped, that know everything that's going on on the tour and that have you know no connections or where what, everybody has connections, but have a very clear mind who just the only incentive need to be to bring the game forward uh and now like you say you you started this with with politics which is almost a bad word that's that's not it's not what you want you know you just want of course you're not going to be on the same page but the player council should have uh should have in their head that they want the best for the players now but i think even more important for a player council is that that you're going to leave the sport healthy in, in in five or ten years and that's very difficult ask for uh, players that are that are playing now that are making their money now uh, so therefore I think more former players that are just out of the game would be would be a good thing for uh, for a player council I think players need to be involved because it's good that they have a general idea about what's going on mm-hmm. like for example you can ask for more money but then uh, go sit down with a tournament director and let the tournament break break down their 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 money you know we we need to pay these people and we need to de- pay these people to get the tournament around and then everybody has a little bit more idea about the world that you are in. And but smaller
1: uh, tournaments are struggling. I talked to oh yeah. Söderling and Johansson, they yeah. both have had the chance to run the Swedish Open and they both said it's a very different financial experience when yeah. you are not a player you try to yeah. run the office yeah. behind the door and you there's so many angles yeah. and there's a small bucket to bring a star player, there's a lot of challenges and then and then fancy on TV that there are a lot of tournaments in the first week. Uh, you, you, uh, it's only actually one week tournament I in the first few days there's no one in the stands. Yeah. So absolutely, you know, the office job is very different than I think being on the court
2: yeah yeah and that's something uh, you know if that would ever come around I have to think uh, hard about that because the the uh, I I love the court because it's so fair you know (laughs) yeah in the end you're playing one-on-one and and, and the better player is going to win okay let's switch to the court
1: you yeah you've been working with Kiki Bertens and she had a great uh a great week in Madrid was a huge one of the huge favorites Uh, at Roland Garros but then unfortunately you know we know what happened so how has it been the overall experience you know when you signed up what were the expectations and how pleased are you with the collaboration so far what's gone
2: well, of course very pleased, but it's it's not like we started, uh, well, now almost four years ago, it's not like we started uh, saying that uh, she wanted to make top 10 or her first goal was to get it back into top 50. She had the highest ranking before, I think, of 41 in 2012-2013. Uh, then she dropped a little bit, was injured a little bit, uh, a little bit because of bad luck, a little bit of just not being fit enough. Uh, so when we started her goal was to get back at top 50 (laughs) in the first talk we had i asked her her goals and she said i want to be back in top 50. i said well if that's the only goal i'm gonna go home i wish you all the best because you know uh, of course i also want you back in the top 50 but I want I want more than that, I want to go for more than that. Uh, and then from there on it, uh, things happened pretty quickly because half a year later she played semi-finals in Paris, the week before she won the WTA tournament in Nuremberg and then she went from ranking 90 to 222 and then for about one and a half year it was just uh she had to really learn to deal with the expectations kiki is the kind of girl that uh prefers to be on court seven or eight instead of a center court yeah if you are ranked 22 or if you are ranked like number five now most likely you're going to be on center courts or, or or on the grandstand courts and more attention from outside so actually the one and a half year after Paris was just about uh, trying to get used to the expectations uh, and it, it weighs so heavy on her that not at the beginning or not at uh, the end of last year but the year before uh, we had a very long and hard talk and uh, I told her to to quit tennis uh, she finished that year that's 2017 then Uh, number 32 in the world which is still very nice you know you're making good money you're traveling the world so it sounds all very nice but she was very unhappy Uh, so I told her I think she should stop uh, and, and 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 think about what she wants to do, because there's no reason to be unhappy, uh, even if you are making uh, a, a lot of money uh, and then she thought about it, and she came back and she said, "No, I want to do things differently. if I stop now i I stop with a very bad feeling I still stop or I stop, and I think there's still things to be done." Mm. And then I said right away, well then, if you still want me, <laughs> if you still want to work with me, uh, let's continue. And actually from that moment on, from uh, the, the practice from uh, off season for, for 2018, so December 2017 has been, uh, I can only say very, very impressive. And of course we had huge disappointments, but she's working hard every, every day. There's so let's an, talk about the highs. Yeah. The
1: Cincinnati win was a huge win. Yeah. And then this year in Madrid. So talk from Cincinnati to Madrid, what did you guys work on? Was it just the continuation of what her strengths are? Or, uh, it's, it's probably difficult to add something during the season. But what yeah. has been, if you look at those two blocks from Cincinnati yeah. to Madrid, uh, talk about what you guys worked on.
2: Well, if you, uh, the, the, it's it's not like you know you're you you are working for a week like you say on something. It's it's tough to change because you know when you're within tournament weeks it's uh, you don't want to mess with the head you don't want to mess with the confidence so Cincinnati we have to go back to to offseason uh, December 2017 because we looked at 2017 the whole year and apart from the mental uh, dealing with the pressure etc we looked at her tennis game and where where were the lapses where was she losing the, uh, uh, the most points and that was uh, especially in the first three or four strokes in the rally. So that was return plus the ball after the return and especially second serve and then at the ball after the second serve so in that offseason we basically switch things around because normally in an offseason you have five weeks you start working physically and then you start hitting a lot of balls and then in the last two and a half weeks you start adding serve and return and then you start playing points and then you go into matches here after the second practice we played uh, serve and return for four or five weeks we hit for like 15 minutes every practice and after that it was straight to serve and return and that really gave her the confidence that she could also do it on 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 faster courts
1: so even for a tactical change like that you guys worked out for a week do you still think that needs a mental adjustment or is it more like just hitting balls
2: yeah yeah both? well for me with a mental adjustment the the most important thing is is that that the player is uh, the player needs to be on board with the switch if the player is like not sure uh, of course a coach can step in and says like hey i think this needs to be done but if a player is not on board with the change, it's always going to break down uh, mm. sooner, sooner or later, because there's only one person that n- needs to do it on the court, and that's the player. And this was a good thing with Kiki because, you know, after after 2017, she said, I, I need to change this. If I want to make an impact on, on hard courts, you know, I have to, as soon as I'm in the rally, I'm okay. You can see that on clay. And then also she's, she's moving great on clay because she's been brought up on clay, but she feels comfortable as soon as she's in the rally but she needs to be in a good position in the rally so she she was right on board and she also said yeah we really need to work on that let's put more emphasis on this and from then on she also started making results on, uh, on hard court. So Cincy is a bigger win than Madrid? Oh yeah for sure yeah. Does she, does she also
1: feel the same way?
2: Uh, I don't think so, because of course in the end of your career you're going to look at uh, uh, the biggest tournaments you've won and Madrid is a little bit bigger than Cincy, but for me Cincy by far is a bigger win because Madrid is actually uh, is made for Kiki, uh, circumstance-wise, mm-hmm. because the clay courts are uh, uh, the quality of the clay is very good, which means you can you can move well on the clay, which means you can uh, play defense well on the clay, which she which she likes.
1: And high bouncing.
2: And very high bounce. It's altitude. It's like seven, eight hundred meters still in Madrid, which means that even if she's not connecting fully to a ball, she already hits a pretty heavy forehand. But even if she hits it on seventy or eighty percent, the ball is gonna bounce, and a lot of the girls don't don't like the ball on shoulder height. Okay, I'm gonna so,
1: compare a little bit here and I could be wrong, to Dominic yeah. team because he likes yeah. the high bounce. Oh, yeah. And he yeah. did pretty well last year at the US Open, because the yeah. US Open was playing slow, humid, but bounce was high. Yeah. So do you guys see that as uh, something in Kiki's favor, or you think being a European and the weather there is a challenge so how do you yeah. approach the Open what mentality is there when you guys talk about it
2: well it's it's exac- exactly like you say you know you uh, you try to take the things that work in your favour like um, if the courts are the same I don't know but if the courts are the same last year last year the courts were playing slow and there was a high bounce and then she gets more comfortable but then again she also played quarterfinals in Wimbledon which is of course like we just talked about it's also slower but it's still moving wise it's, it's it's difficult for her it's still in a way the the fastest course because if you if you hit through the ball on on grass you still need to be very quick so for sure we like I like for her to play on on, on a slower hard court. but then again, she's I think she's still number one or number two in the ace uh, department. So uh, she's also happy on a faster court because that means that it's it's tougher to return. You know, your serve is doing a little bit more. So uh, and then. Like I say, it's always taking, trying to take the positives out of out of the circumstances, and I need to be the mirror for her because she has a little bit of the tendency to take the negative things. Okay. Uh, a out of more it. I know yeah.
1: we got almost 20 minutes, so yeah. With Sitsipas and Ash Barty, the net game is coming back. Of yeah. course, Federer was doing it for a long time, yeah. but he was from a different era. Yeah. So, do you guys talk? How much net do you guys talk, and how much you think there could be more net in Kiki's game yeah. if she has to, you know, go and win a major?
2: Uh, I think that. She should be more Uh, it's not only the net game but just to to be aggressive to try and play at the net sometimes you hit so big that you don't even need to hit a volley but Kiki can improve there but the only way you're improving that is is by practicing it and we are practicing it but then it's the next step you need to do it in matches and then you need to be you know, you you need to want to put some effort in that. And instead of sometimes, you know, and that's a little bit the thing with Kiki. She has such a solid baseline game that a lot of times, if she gets a, a three-quarter forehand and she hits it with spin out wide, and she's gonna play the rally, she's a lot of times she's gonna win the rally. But then against a few of the girls, you have to you, you have to really be attacking. And you know, Kiki has been in. <laughs> Sorry, has been in Singapore in doubles, so she's played a lot of doubles before, not anymore. Uh, so uh, the net game is there; uh, she can play it. But then it's just and it just uh, is 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 not that easy, as I say it. But you have to you have to do it in matches in order to to get a feel for it. Because in practice, you know, we all can hit that that that, that volley deep, or maybe not all, but you, you know what I mean. Uh, in matches, you have to do it, and you have to get through those situations to to start feel comfortable with your net game.
1: Okay, and then does winning something like Madrid really? And I'm, I know you are her coach, so it's kind of an unfair question. But we'll also, yeah. ask, does that give her the you know mental edge needed to win the biggest tournaments? Because you know, belief is the key. We talk about yeah. so many players. Right? Yeah. We talk about Zverev. We talk about you know before yeah. that was Wozniaki and Halep. yeah yeah. So yeah. how big is the belief? Yeah, uh, you're I. You're hitting the ball really well, and
2: I think I think the situation is is different because these were. Uh, Young players already in, uh, if we talk Zverev, if we talk Wozniaki, if we talk Simona, uh, they've been there for such a long time already and Zverev is still very young but he's been there already for a long time. Kiki's been a top 10 player for not a year. So in order to get used to those situations a little bit more, she's going to need a little bit more time. And then if things doesn't go our way uh, at a big tournament, uh, we need to look at it. We don't need to shy away from it. but. Winning Madrid and winning Cincinnati has has especially especially Cincinnati has given her uh, uh, the 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 trust that she that every tournament she
1: needs to play for the title. It's not going to happen that that often, but
2: she needs to play for the title, and that is what she's what she's doing. You
1: know, you said something very important. I mean, I learned a lot, but I think what you just said hit me that she's only been a top player for a year. Sometimes, especially in media too, and fans, we yeah, all are talking yeah. about. Was oh, Zverev hasn't won a major yet? Yeah. Sometimes we. Don't don't realize breaking top ten, breaking top twenty, winning a five hundred or winning winning an international series event. Those are all goals. Yeah. And sometimes we are just obsessed with Wimbledon and the World War yeah. on One ranking. Yeah. So how are those things in your plans when you guys are structuring a season? What are the small goals and what are the big goals yeah. when you sit down with your charge and you say okay, this is what we're going to achieve this year?
2: Well, that, but that is maybe something we can do for for next year. Next year a goal can be we, we're going to put more emphasis on, on Grand Slams. And what are we going to do? Uh, Kiki likes to play a lot of tournaments in a year. But maybe we're going to try and and play uh, uh, and practice a week uh, before a slam. Uh, Should we play a tournament? Should we take a few days off? Where are we going to practice really hard? Where are we going to practice less? Of course, we have. Uh, We have a plan and we know what she likes and we know how she reacts on on heavy days and on days where she's just hitting one hour. But these are things we have to look to if uh, if she wants to make uh, uh, Grand Slams uh, a, a main goal but from where we came from being outside of 100 four years ago and then going into you know your ranking being 20 25 your goal can still be to win a grand slam but it's it's not like a short term goal Absolutely. now if you're number 5 in the world and all the results have been there, and uh, yeah, you, you want to make an impact in on the Grand Slams. It needs to be a goal, and then you have to look at it like, how are we gonna, how are we gonna tackle this? How are we gonna make the chance the biggest? So it will be a goal for next year. Uh, this year, actually, the goal was to, which sounds maybe a little bit soft, but to to see if you can con- consolidate top ten which is already tough enough because we've we've seen that also in the past and with the women's game being being so close well we saw sofia uh, today taking out uh, taking out ash mm-hmm. it's it's not really a surprise anymore in the in the women's game that, that a lot of the top players are are falling in early rounds also in slams so that was the goal for this year uh, she's doing very well so far uh, that goal is not going to change but then next at the end of this year we need to sit down and okay what is what is going to be the goal for this for next year and what do we have to do differently?
1: Okay, let's finish this conversation. Yeah. You're a former ATP player. There's a lot of talk about the on-court coaching in WTA and a lot of ATP players. ATP players don't like it. Yeah. So what's your view on that? Uh,
2: I don't like it I'm not a fan uh, I think in in quite a lot of cases it has worked in our advantage especially also because we're working for four years together so, so she
1: knows not to call you uh,
2: uh, yeah <laughs> or she knows when to call me but in these stress moments it's very very uh, uh, it, it's so good if you know each other for a long time because you, you you know the emotions and you know I or at least I know what to say and she knows how to react to me and it's it's very good but just in general i'm not a fan because okay. I'm, I'm a fan of the one-on-one battle i think coaching should be before the match and then i would just like to see the girls play out play out the match
1: Hey, thank you very much i certainly enjoyed this hopefully anyone who tunes in to listen to this uh, can take a lot out it was a very rich conversation thank you very much remote. you're welcome thank you We have Sophia Cannon here at uh, Rogers Cup. Tricky first round match.
3: Yeah, um, she's a tough player. Um, doesn't give you much rhythm. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it was hard a little bit, you know, finding my game. But I think I did a good job with it and just trying to manage the points and playing how I should play.
1: There's a lot of momentum swing, especially in the first set. She ran away with four games Then you came back.
3: Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of up and down. Yeah, like you said, she started off well, and I just made a little bit too many on arrows, so I just had to clean up my arrows and, uh, yeah, just play aggressive and just um, expect anything, honestly. You know, she can come up with amazing shots from anywhere, so I knew it was going to be a tough match.
1: Sure. Uh, you've been having a great year. I mean, you've uh, already what 28 matches, which is oh, well, okay. <laughs> double compared to last year. Is there any part of a game that you think has developed more that's caused, you know, these success and this results go your way?
3: Um, I just think, you know, I feel more comfortable with playing these big players. And, um, yeah, I've worked on my game, trying to be more aggressive and, yeah, just trying to maybe come in and finish some points at the net and try to, you know, mix up my game and not playing so flat. But, um, yeah, I'm just really happy with the year and just going to keep it going.
1: Still a very young career. Do you think there's a different rhythm to the tour when you played, what is it, like August? You've already played 45 matches. How do you deal with recovery training? You're going deep in most tournaments?
3: Um, honestly, I'm happy that this is. I have kind of have this problem. Not like a problem, but it's a good thing to have. It means I'm playing well and, like you said, having um, a lot of match play. And, yeah, the recovery isn't sometimes the, the easiest, you know. But, um, yeah, just trying to manage it and just, um, you know, get the massages, get treatments if I need to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm handling it well and um, I'm not over-exhausting myself, which is good. And I'm, you know, um, there's a balance between doing certain things, so I think I'm doing well with it.
1: And as ranking results go hand in hand, so did you envision start of the year that you'll be uh, in the 20s for the U.S. Open, and you can still improve with you know two key weeks. So,
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really I wanted to be like top 20 by the end of the year. I had like that goal, but um, just I'm just not going to try to like put so much pressure on it because I can go down. You know what I mean? It's just having so much. uh, You know, if if you think you can do that and it doesn't happen, so I'm just taking one match at a time and just trying to have a good year like I am and. Um, hopefully,
1: I can get into top 20. Yeah, you've uh, won two titles on two different surfaces, yes. each one of the final and hard codes. Mm-hmm. So, is it easy to assess that those are two preferred surfaces? That suit your game compared to clay or you don't have a preference you like all surfaces
3: I like all surfaces to be honest I mean before clay wasn't my best surface but uh, yeah I really love clay I had a really good run in French and um, yeah I played Serena which was you know a great match never forget and yeah playing my opponent for tom- uh, Wednesday whenever Ashley and played her in French so uh, yeah I mean I feel like every surface suits me which is good you know it's always good to have like a mentality you knowing that uh, your surface the-, the surface that you're on is good for you and yeah, I'm happy because I used to hate mm-hmm. play, and now I love it, so it's good.
1: And, of course, Serena matches, you know, one of the marquee matches, and, you know, it's going to stay with you forever. But are there any losses this year that you thought, okay, this one got away from you? And what, what do you do when you have that kind of a loss? How do you process
3: a um, tough loss? I mean, I've had, like, a few tough uh, losses, like, uh, a year ago or something, you know, against Sinjakova in Prague, um, against uh, Patrick Fedorov in Miami, against Karolina Pliskova last year at US Open, and Mary Sharapova. So I've had, obviously, tough losses, but speaking of this year, I felt like I could have won against um, Yefan Wang at Acapulca. Um, Yeah, it wasn't easy, you know, I felt like I had the match, and... I mean, I kind of wanted to get that uh, revival back, you know, so I played her first round at Indian Wells, and she was playing lights out, honestly. I did not expect her to play that well, but um, it was a very tough battle against her, and I'm happy to have gotten the... The it, bad, uh, win against her.
1: Is it easy to process a beatdown than compared to a match where you had a lot of say you could probably had match points and lose? Or
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm speaking of match points. That's how I lost to Katerina Sinyakova at the Fed Cup. I had four match points and I lost. So that was very hard. Um, yeah, it's easy to process when you just lose rather than having match points. But any loss is never easy to process.
1: Sure. All right, so let's wrap this up. Uh, Ashbody's success has been talked about in many capacities in media, fans, you know, the all all all-around game, is it inspirational even for a player like you and do you wish to add more variety? Are you working on stuff like that?
3: Yeah, um, Ash is having a really tough game, you know, she's having a great year and yeah, all due respect, you know, she's the reason why she's number one and playing lights out and yeah, it's good for her and um, yeah, she brings a lot of different aspects to the game which makes it harder for players to play against her, which she's doing a really good job with that. Um, Yeah, I try to use, you know, take some stuff that I could, uh, from her to, um, add to my game. So, um, I cannot play exactly like her adding the slices, but yeah. I can do some slices and I guess serve well. So yeah. All
1: hey, right. Thanks for your time Thank and you. good luck for her to the tournament. Thank, you. Thank
3: you.